spend uh, just a little while looking at looking at these uh, looking at these verses I've just read. And uh, as we break into this passage, as we break into uh, John 12 here, Jesus' public ministry is uh, is drawing to a close. Up until now, he's been uh, travelling around the region. He's been teaching and preaching. He's been performing miracles, and he's been making a huge impact on the on on the region. And people are, are uh, very interested in him and very excited by what he's been saying. Um, but what we come to now is the is the end of that of that public ministry, really, and this is the the start of the of the Passion Week, and we can see as we read here that the crowds are gathering uh, for the feast. They're gathering together for the for the Passover, and there is there is a lot of excitement there, and there's a a large crowd that's been gathering um, for this event. And uh, so this we come to this passage then, which is uh, entitled the triumphal entry. And what we have here is this crowd, and it's, I'm sure it's something we're very familiar with, the triumphal entry. There's this crowd, and they're waving palm branches, and they are uh, shouting out these, these, these messages. They're saying, um, Hosanna. They're shouting out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and blessed is the King of Israel. So they are making these statements about Jesus. They've met, the crowd has come to meet Jesus as he arrives in Jerusalem for the feast. And they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So they're making a very clear uh, statement about who they think Jesus is. They are saying that Jesus is the King of Israel. And I guess that's what I'm kind of spend uh, the time doing is looking at uh, Jesus' identity. These people have declared that they think that Jesus is the King of Israel. As we go through the passage, we're going to look at different ways in which uh, Jesus' identity was uh, was uh, viewed by different people and how it was confirmed in different ways. So this is the first statement about Jesus' identity and it comes from the crowd and the, the crowd, the adulation of the people as Jesus arrives in Jerusalem they say he is the one who comes in the name of the Lord blessed is the King of Israel. They are saying that Jesus is the Messiah and they're quoting from uh, Psalm 118 here in verse uh, in verse 13 when they say Hosanna, that, that comes from, that comes from Psalm 118, which we read earlier on, verses 25 and 26. That's the, that's the, what they used. Those are the words they, cho- they chose to use to welcome Jesus as he entered Jerusalem. And these are words that are, uh, uh, quite familiar to us. We're a psalm singing church. We sing all the psalms a lot and we sing Psalm 118. Uh, quite often, and, and we sing Psalm 118 in particular at uh, communion time, at the Lord's Supper, and we very often sing this psalm as we too recognise who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We recognise that he is the King of Israel and he is the one 
who comes in the name of the Lord. We celebrate in the way that Jesus, same way that Jesus was celebrated as he arrived in Jerusalem, so too do we at the Lord's Supper often use this psalm to, to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. So, Jesus' identity is being uh, stated by the crowd here, and they clearly view him as the Messiah. Uh, Jesus is entering, so so Jesus enters uh, Jerusalem, and he does so uh, on a donkey. And that is in fulfillment of uh, of the Old Testament prophecy. We read that earlier on in in, uh, in, uh, in Zechariah. It talks there about how how the king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus is, by doing this, he's saying something about himself. We saw already that the crowd made a statement about Jesus. Here's Jesus making a statement about himself. He's saying that he is, is, the, is the Messiah. He's the one that's referred to in this passage in Zechariah. He is the king that is mounted on a donkey. So he's making a very clear statement about his own identity there. In uh, verse 16, it says that the disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus would go, then they remembered that these things had been written about him. So they understand the significance of that at the time. The uh, disciples and the crowd that didn't really have any uh, pull on them at the time. They didn't realize what that really meant. And it was only after his glorification, only after the, after the cross and after his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit did they really understand what this actually, actually meant. Uh, it's interesting that the crowd was made up of a couple of different groups of people. It was made up of people who had... Uh, witnessed uh, not long before Lazarus been raised from the dead and they had heard they, they had obviously this was, they'd seen this amazing event they'd witnessed this amazing event so they travelled around and they, they, well, they, tra- they told everybody that they met about this thing this amazing thing that had happened so they'd spread the word about Jesus in particular in, particular in relation to uh, raising Lazarus from the dead so they, this part of the crowd had actually seen this happen. They were a witness to it, and they'd spread the word. And there was also another part of the crowd who had heard all about this, and they were in Jerusalem, and they came out to, to meet Jesus. So there, the, the, there's huge ferment. You can sense the, uh, um, the excitement and the, the desire to know more about Jesus in the crowd. But as far as the Pharisees were concerned, this was all kind of going the wrong way. And... Um, In verse 19, the Pharisees say, See how the whole world has gone after him. They're exasperated by the fact that Jesus um, has created all this excitement and people seem to want to follow Jesus. And a lot of that seems to come back to um, uh, raising Lazarus again. They'd plotted to to try and kill Jesus and they'd also plotted to try and kill Jesus kill Lazarus to try and dampen down this enthusiasm for uh, for Jesus. But isn't it interesting how they say, um, see how the whole world has gone after him. Um, this is Jerusalem. 
So it's, a, I guess it's quite a cosmopolitan city, but it hardly is the whole world. Um, so maybe, but maybe there's something in what the Pharisees said. Maybe they spoke more than they really knew or understood when they talked about the whole world going after him. Maybe that did point to uh, Jesus not just being for the Jewish people, but being for uh, people beyond uh, beyond uh, Judaism. And perhaps to, to, to emphasize that, maybe that point is borne out even more by the fact that the next thing that happens is that some Greeks arrive. Kind of, it's kind of out of the blue here. Suddenly we're told that there are some, some Greeks who came up to, to worship at the feast. They, um, they came to, uh, it's, it's a bit odd, joy. They seem to be very interested in Judaism. They were, they wanted to come and take part in this Jewish festival, although they clearly weren't Jewish themselves. Perhaps they were attracted to, um, I don't know, the, the, the monotheism of, of, of Judaism, as opposed to the many, many gods that they would have had as Greeks. Maybe their appeal to that, maybe that appealed to them, and maybe the morality that was associated with Judaism appealed as well. But anyway, for whatever reason, these Greeks came came to the feast, they wanted to take part in things as well. And they said, we want to see Jesus, we want to meet up with them. And they talked to Philip, one of the disciples. Philip's a kind of Greek name, so maybe they thought they would uh, be on the kind of the same same page as him. They might get some they might be able to get better access if they came to this man who seemed to seem to be of a similar origin to themselves. And uh, Philip spoke to Andrew and together they went to Jesus to say that there was this group of Greek people that wanted to talk to Jesus. And it's interesting what what Jesus says there. He doesn't seem to kind of respond to that particularly. In fact, after that, we don't really hear anything about the Greeks at all afterwards. But Jesus has a message nonetheless People have come and said they want to see him and Jesus takes this opportunity uh, to give the message that he wants to at that particular point that he sees as the most important thing. And he says, he says the hour has come for the Son of Man. This is in verse 23. He says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then he goes on to say, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. So he starts off by saying, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Um, Jesus is referring to his to his own his own death, which is, uh, is imminent, and he's talking about that death of his bearing fruit. And I guess that fruit can only be uh, our salvation as he as he dies on the cross. Then the fruit that's born from that is uh, is our salvation, the salvation of the of the Jews, the salvation of the Greeks that had come to see him. Again, maybe emphasizing that uh, the salvation would be not just for the Jewish people, but it would be a much 
for the, for the whole world and for us here today as well it's for it's for it's for everyone if we put our faith in Jesus so the fruit so there's this relationship between dying and then bearing fruit thereafter and that's uh, that's the fruit of salvation that Jesus would purchase for us on the cross and perhaps there's a sense in which that applies to us today as well and, there's, and, and, and there are people in the world who, who suffer persecution and, uh, and it costs them their lives to follow, to follow Jesus. Uh, that's probably not the case for us, but, it's, but nonetheless, perhaps there are things in our lives that need to go away. Perhaps there are things that we need to die to, as it were, things that in our lives that stop us being fruitful as Christians. Maybe there's things that are stopping us from being the followers of Jesus that we ought to be. Maybe there's things that are stopping us from being sort of disciples that we ought to be. Maybe there's things in our lives that we need to we need to put to death, as it were, that we might be more fruitful. And there's a, these, these verses here um, in verses... Um, 24 to 26 are verses of contrast really it talks about dying and then and then bringing forth fruit about hating our lives in this world so that we keep our lives for eternal life following Jesus so that when we so that we can ultimately join Jesus in glory so there's there's sort of negative things hard things that we have to, that uh, that, are, that Jesus talks about here that are required before the fruit um, comes comes through. Jesus then uh, says, uh, "Now is my soul troubled." And then, "Father, glorify your name." And a voice came from heaven, "I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again." The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel spoken to us. So there's just an amazing event really here, which is kind of spoken to almost just in passing, spoken of just in passing, um, where Jesus says, Father, glorify my name, and a voice comes from heaven. And there's only a couple of times previously in the, uh, previously that uh, God speaks directly from heaven, as it were, as he does as he does here, previously only as baptism and uh, and transfiguration. So this is a sort of very unusual and rare and rare event. But yet, it doesn't seem to be given a huge amount of prominence. It's just in in the in the in the text of the passage. And it's interesting too that the crowd seems to have heard it in different ways. Some of them said that it had thundered, as if it was, which is kind of what might maybe what we would expect. We might expect a voice to thunder. From heaven as God spoke. Another said, an angel has spoken to him, which is, uh, seems quite different. Um, and maybe that says something about how attuned we are to God, how attuned we are to hear what he would say to us. And uh, maybe, maybe in our, in our lives we need to, to listen more carefully as we, as, we, as we read the words and as God speaks to us in different ways through the word or as we pray, or as we experience the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes maybe we're not as attuned to that as we ought to be, and sometimes maybe we want to push that back. 
maybe we don't really hear the voice of God as, uh, as we really ought to. But this is also another place where Jesus' identity is clearly confirmed. He says to the Father, glorify your name. And he says, I have glorified it. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. God speaks directly uh, to, uh, to Jesus in this and clearly uh, confirming who he is. Further on in the passage, um, if we look at about verse 30, 32, Jesus talks then further about his death. And he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So this is amazing. The last thing they said there is, Who is the Son of Man? Shortly before, this crowd had uh, had been welcoming Jesus into, into Jerusalem and declaring him to be the Messiah. And not long after... Now they're questioning who Jesus is. They're questioning his identity. Um, so they have, they have understood Jesus said he was to be lifted up and they understood that to mean that he was going to die. They seem to understand that that's what that meant. I'm not sure that that's what, that we would understand that today. But in those days they understood what he meant and that if he was to be lifted up that that meant he was going to He was going to die. And they say, that's not consistent with what we understand from the Bible, uh, from the law. We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. They don't expect the Messiah to die. They expect him to remain forever. So from the great celebration at the triumphal entry where every every, uh, everyone was proclaiming that he was a Messiah, they've also had the uh, Jesus, uh, the Father responding to Jesus and speaking directly to him. But yet, in spite of these things, they are now questioning Jesus' identity. They don't expect him to be the Son, uh, to be uh, to be the Messiah. They don't expect the Messiah to be someone uh, that's going to die. It's um, brought to mind something. Um, I experienced a number of, a number of years ago um, when I went on the Christian witness to Israel uh, summer school. Um, I'm not sure if they still have those or not. I know some people here are still involved with Christian witness to Israel, and uh, I think we talked about it. it was in the notices this morning, wasn't it? There's a there's a there's a 175th anniversary celebration coming up. But a number of years ago, I went in uh, Christian Witness to Israel summer school, which was great. It was uh, Christian Witness to Israel is a mission 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 organisation for for Jewish people, and the summer school just did a lot of teaching and training about uh, Jewish belief, what what Judaism really means these days, and what uh, different strand different strands of Judaism, a bit about Jewish culture, and of course a lot about Jewish evangelism. But part of that, uh, 
as we looked at the, the culture of the uh, Jewish people. Um, a lady came along who, who was Jewish and had become a Christian, and uh, she was also an artist. And uh, she'd drawn this, uh, she'd made this painting, she'd painted a picture which uh, depicted uh, a number of Jewish, Jewish men, and they were in, their, in, the, in, the, in the clothing of the day and the robes that they would have worn in those days. And they had the, the phylacteries on their forehead, little boxes with the, uh, with the scriptures strapped to their, strapped to their heads. And they were looking into the scriptures, they had the scriptures laid out before them in this picture. And there were looks of consternation and the looks of understanding, looks of concern, really trying to understand, trying to figure out if this man really was Jesus. The title of the painting was Who is This Man? And it really really depicted really well, I think, how, how many people must have been feeling at this time amongst the, amongst the crowd. They were looking into the scriptures and they were trying to understand if this man really was the Messiah. So, I guess, we've, so we try to look a bit, we looked at a number of things, but we try to look mainly at uh, points that have concerned Jesus' identity. The crowd were saying at the start of the pa- start of this passage that he was the Messiah, he was the King of Israel. But maybe this last question that the crowd asks, who is who is the Son of Man? Maybe that's a great question for all of us to ask and Maybe it's a pretty basic question, but maybe it's not a bad question to, to, to reflect on for a while at the, at the beginning of a new year. Who is this man? Who is this Jesus? And I guess if we're Christians today, we've got, we can answer that, that quite well. But maybe there's, there's always more to learn, isn't there? There's always more to understand about this Jesus. There's always more to know. There's always more to reflect on. And yeah, he's the one who's the king of Israel and the king of the world. We saw in this passage there about the, also about some of the claims that he makes on our lives. He asks us to follow him. He asks us to die to ourselves in certain ways that we can be more fruitful. He asks us to be followers and disciples of him. Um, these are things that I guess that are all good for us to, to consider at the, at the start. Of New Year. If we're not, if we're not believers tonight, um, that's a great question to ask as well. Who is this man? Who is this Jesus? Who do we think? What do we think of Jesus? And who do we think he really is? Let's um, maybe ponder that. That's a, a great thing to to think on at this uh, start of the year. Who is this man? Who is this Son of Man, uh, Jesus? Um, so let's um, let's just pray briefly, and um, 